welcome to Butterflies and Bravery. We're here. We are co-hosts seen together, Whisper. I'm Whisper and my very best friend, Jemima. Yeah. And um, we are on episode 14, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Moving along. It, it seems like we just started it and then also it just seems like we've been we've started it forever ago it's like one of those weird time warp things yeah. if you watch a lot of time travel movies you start feeling like maybe time really is a social construct that we don't really <laughs> yeah well keeping clocks i guess keeping that sort of time is actually right everything else just the rotation of the sun and everything but the actual like adding hours to it and that whole thing that was once we got civilized, civilization came in and said, let's add some numbers to this. Yeah. So people <laughs> could start showing up at the same time? Probably, yeah. I'm guessing. That'd be interesting. I wonder what Otherwise, <laughs> I'll meet you when the sun is behind the weeping willow. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably how they used to do it until finally someone was like, okay, we need to set this up. I wonder what was the, like the first meeting invite that ever was uh, right <laughs> two o'clock excuse me what's two o'clock right somebody hasn't heard of time yet <laughs> what is this new concept you speak of <laughs> i i was gonna tell you yeah i had a conversation with my friend yesterday who's also an ex-member and they were having a conversation with their brother and about like about growing up in the cult and their brother was saying that they consider their childhood, quote unquote childhood, all the way from the time they were born up until they actually got out of the cult. Like they consider that their childhood. But then, and then once they got out of the cult, that's when their adulthood started. Like that's how they look back on it. And then they basically like, yes, because, and so we were both, both her and I were talking about it. And I, I was saying like, I can, I understand that on a certain level because up until that point, you don't have, you didn't have choice. Yeah. You didn't exactly. have choice. Exactly. But, so I can see, I can see that differentiation of, okay, before and after, but she was trying to explain to him that it's because he didn't have kids until he left the cult. See, right. we, we had them while we were still in. And which were the reason got out in a lot of ways. Yes. Once you become a parent, that's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different, you know, frame of mind and referencing even. Her brother was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, okay. Like, I never even thought of it that way. We got into the conversation about raising kids and how challenging it was for us because we had our parenthood while we were in. And then... And then coming out, we are trying to figure ourselves out and figure out parenting at the same time. Like, what do you do now? I knew from the time, like, the second my kid was born, the second my first kid was born, I think a lot of things, I don't want to say broke <laughs> in my head, but, like, my brain snapped at that point where I was just, like, I'm looking at my kid. I'm like, there's no way that my parents felt like this towards me. There's no yeah. way. Like, yeah. The love and the protectiveness just was so overwhelming. And I was like, I would stand in front of a train for this baby. There's no way my parents felt like this. No. And I, I actually even wrote, you wrote my stepdad one time in a letter. <laughs> we, we had it out and I wrote him and I just said, I don't understand because if anybody did to my kid, what you did to me, uh, like I would, I would literally want to seek them out and hurt them. Yeah. The second my baby was born, I was like, I don't understand what they must have felt towards us. Like that, it really, hit, it like really just kind of broke my head almost. I don't know how this, how it made it so different. What happened? What happened that was so different that they lost that sort of like super protectiveness over us. But I, I guess it's really comes down to religion. Yeah, exactly. As far as like the separation kind of thing went. Yeah. My mom wanted to be a missionary. She wanted to go overseas, but she had six kids. <laughs> so yeah. she felt like for her, it was too much 
it just wasn't going to happen. Basically, from what I understand, I was a child. I was mm-hmm. very young. But from what I understand, I was the ambassador of the family, so to mm-hmm. speak. Basically, she was like, if I can't go. And I remember thinking and knowing this when I was going to Japan when I was 14 years old. Mexico, that's to me, that wasn't that bad. It's kind of right there. But Japan, that's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's a 24-hour plane ride, yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I get what you're saying about that, that you felt like you were your family's representative. Exactly. <laughs> like I was the ambassador for the family. Basically, from what I remember, my mom wanted to go to Japan. And okay. that's why it was Japan. Her close friends, Tim and Comfort, were in Arizona with us. And she really liked them. So did you were going to someone? Like when you left to Japan, I was supposed to be going to someone. Oh, I never actually okay. ended up there. Yeah, but you would. But I'm saying that's why you would have agreed to it. I imagine. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Well, not that you had a say, but exactly. I didn't. It was kind of like, okay, you go and be the ambassador. And for me, that was like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, I'm like the chosen one. <laughs> but you know, that's how they made it feel. It was the course, same sure. with, with, the, with the abuse, too. I mean, with the sexual abuse, too. It was the same. It was like, oh, you're special. You've been chosen for this. Yep. And that was the way that they made people want to do things. And it was yeah. that was pretty much what it was. Okay, you're special. You're the oldest one. You get to go yeah. and have this high privilege of being the ambassador for the family and going to preach the gospel to every creature. You're representing all of us. So as a kid, you're like, okay, this is a big responsibility. I can do this. This is obviously what God wants because everybody's <laughs> telling you this is what God wants. This is what God wants. I, I call it the 144,000 mentality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we actually had that song. We're the 144,000. We're the 144,000. <laughs> yeah. uh... <laughs> I don't remember the rest. <laughs> it's who else could it be but us? Oh, yeah. Who else could be but us? <laughs> oh, my God. Awful songs. Some people might be familiar with this, but especially any apocalyptic type beliefs, because in the book of Revelation in the Bible, there's a reference to when Jesus comes back and that it's only 144,000 that are going to get raptured into heaven and that I kind of thing. I think so. I, I can't remember what yeah. the whole deal exactly was, but I think it was either that or there was 144,000 elite. Yeah. And that's what they told us is yep. we're the special. Isn't that a lot, though, of how cults and not just Absolutely. cults either, but anybody I think that's grooming anyone makes them feel like you're special and you're chosen. And that's yep. why the person is like, oh, OK, cool. Yeah. Especially when you're a kid. That's all you want to do is be special. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, so when I actually went to Japan, I ended up in the landing home for, I don't know, a while. That was the place where I came to the realization that I had had more sex with adults than I had with people my own age. And I was 14. And I was wondering about it. I remember wondering at that age, like, this is really weird. Why am I having more sex with adults than I am with people my own age? First of all, people sex their own age at that age. Why even? Yeah. But it was so normalized to me then that. Yeah. And at that point I was in what I considered to be a relationship. <laughs> yeah. With no, I know. a married man whose yep. wife wasn't there. And yeah. It was very confusing. Yeah. And when I was in Malaysia, there was a situation like that, too. This couple, I was like his second wife. And I would actually sleep in the room with them. A lot of times you were how old? 11. That's what I was going to say. Because I know you went to Thailand and you were like 12. Young. Mm -hmm. See, like what? Why? How do people think that's okay? I I don't know. I don't know. But I do remember thinking that I was like, like I saw myself as similar to his wife. Yeah. I was like, I was his wife. Like we were together. Like I'm a wife. Yeah. 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 Of course, when I think back on it, 
it was really weird. But I genuinely cared for them. That's what, I think that's what got so confusing is that there were some yeah. people that they actually you felt cared for. Yes. Like you felt. Yes. As warped as it is, there was yes. still some. I, I This is probably going to flip some people out to, to say this because a child cannot give consent. There's no such thing as a child giving consent because there's no way to be informed. You can't give consent. But there were differing degrees of what happened to us. And there were, for, for me, some situations like that one where I, I guess I just thought that's what was supposed to happen. So I, I wasn't like, oh, am I being hurt? Is This isn't supposed to happen. None of those things. I was almost 13, I think, when I had my first when I actually had my first sexual uh, encounter with someone my age. Yeah. That's exactly the same with me. I was 13 years old. No. Okay. So when I was like 11, I think, <laughs> I don't know. I can't. Oh, well, plain I think We were just kids. Yeah. We yeah, were yeah, just, yeah. ooh, jump on top. See what happens. Mm-hmm. Bounce yeah. around. Woo. I mean, I don't know. But my first actual technical date or whatever you call it was when I was 13 years old. Yeah. And I remember thinking I'm going to lose my virginity. I remember Mm -hmm. thinking that like I was prepared that night. I thought, okay, I'm going to lose my virginity. I I didn't, I don't know (laughs) when, I don't know when I did, to be honest. I don't know if it's the same for you. I don't ever remember losing my virginity, which means it happened way too fucking young. Because that should be something you remember. (laughs) Yeah. Previous to that, all of the sexual activities that I partook in were non-penetrative. But Um, I remember that night thinking, okay, it's going to be my first time. It wasn't anything. And I was like, maybe I just was never a virgin. Maybe God God forgot to give me a hymen. I just thought I was probably just born like that. I know that biologically, your hymen can break on its own from different things. Like, like doing the splits and stuff. Yes, yes. Because um, so, I was into gymnastics and stuff when yeah. I was younger, but, but unfortunately, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> no, no, but that's what I was going to say. But but the point that you're making is, yes, the first time that you actually have, like, penetrative sex, like, that's when you lose your quote-unquote virginity in that sense you've broken that now i can have a baby barrier and yes that should be something that is remembered is done with care and with love and and with mutual consent right i think when you're young as a teenager definitely i agree that was really young for both of us to have to deal with even to have sexual relationships with someone who's our peer who is our own age that's a responsibility that is really intense to give to someone but especially the fact that for me like it was so different I was like oh my god like I I remember I didn't I never went to sleep that night I remember laying there and listening to it was a guy in this case I listening to him sleep and I was just like okay that's sex I was like that's what this is supposed to feel like and be like and look like it was I just remember I spent a long 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 time that night thinking about that and and wondering what that meant for everything that had happened to me beforehand and I don't know that might be why I'm still the way that I have come out of everything that I've been through and still found a way to enjoy sex because I know I've talked to lots of ex-members who have been through shit that we did and have been like, no, it took me a long time to be able to even let someone touch me, let alone enjoy it. I've done research on it and I've looked into it because also I know that there's, there is also that really weird thing that gets tangled up in there, which is your worth, where you get your worth from. And that was us growing up in that era, especially right, the flirty fishing area where like we were going to become our own little prostitutes when we grow up. And so that, and that was valued. I remember as an 11 year old watching the women that were the top quote unquote top FFers and they got special, like they got all the special things. They got the special, they got specially taken care of there. They got to keep the gifts that their whatever fish would give to them. So I do remember 
obviously that there was probably that connection made in my head too of yeah of your value is tied into your sexuality perhaps that's why it's been something for me that i haven't that i didn't have as as difficult of a time at actually being touched but as far as the way that i processed it and the way that i dealt with it that would be really different i suppose it's going to be controversial but i actually did a lot of healing on that with the experimentation because when i first got divorced there's always that initial play time of like, woohoo, I'm going to go see what I can do. I was dating the polyamorous community and I, I got into BDSM, some things in those areas and stuff because, and I would have, I would talk with ex-members and they'd be like, how could you do that? After everything that we saw in the cult, all that wife swapping and all that, like, why doesn't that like freak you out being in a polyamorous dating in the polyamorous community. And I was like, that's actually where I'm finding the healing in is that for the first time I was making those choices. Like I could decide who I was going to sleep with and who I wasn't going to sleep with, who I would be in a relationship with, who I wasn't going to be in a relationship. The same thing like with the BDSM, when it's done correctly and done in like with care and understanding, it's actually being the submissive, you actually have the most power. And so there was a lot of healing that came for me in that place where I was like, I had the control of when to say, stop, no, forget it. And, and I never had that before. So right. that's, I'm not saying that it, it's a healing modality for everyone, but it, it was for me. It was, it was just at least having that experience of going out to explore of, okay, this is what it feels like when I have my own choices. Right. When I date the way that I want to date or see the people that I want to see. Yeah. I did the whole thing too. I had a, had a friend who was pretty wild and we would go out to the bars and stuff like that. I definitely did, did a bit of that trying to see how that worked. It wasn't great, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely not a good place to get dates from in general. Yeah. We went to swingers parties together, right? Oh yes. Us for sure. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that was, was <laughs> fun, interesting, different, no, crazy, wild. It was. But again, see, that was, I, I count that in part of that journey for me because I remember so well, like walking around, like watching all this craziness go on and, and just being like, wow, everybody's, people are choosing this. They're saying yes, they're saying no. And people t- treated us with such respect. That was the other thing that just flipped me out too. If someone came up to us and started trying to talk to us and they were like, oh, is it okay if I, you know, touch you? No, don't. (laughs) And they were like, okay, fine, walk off. That was just mind blowing for me. Yeah. um, Having that experience. So I think that was definitely part of my, my healing journey, I would say. I still don't really know. I'm not sure if I was just like doing it because... That's kind of the way we were raised, pretty much. Right. Right. I mean, like when I was living in Russia, we had a lot of swapping going around. Let's swap. I mean, that was what we were supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. That was part of the whole. I specifically remember when we first got there and made our nut home. The new Ural team (laughs) is what it stood for, the nut home. But we were nuts, so it was great. The best part about that whole setup is we were all like young people. Yeah. There was one person that wasn't in their teens or early twenties. She was like 30 though. So, you know, she fit right in just fine. <laughs> they had like rotating leadership coming around to check on us and we didn't follow a lot of rules. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the nice. rules in that home at all. And then we also did try to follow most of them, but at one point they told us that we weren't getting enough financial support because we weren't sharing enough amongst ourselves <laughs> and God can't bless you. Unless if you're, you're not doing a, lot of, doing a lot of fucking. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you get God's blessings. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but I'm sure we weren't the only people that were told oh, no. that. No, not at all. I know. I know that was a common, Oh, we're super poor. We're dying of starvation. 
You should all start having more sex then. That'll solve everything. (laughs) I don't understand why they thought that was God's criteria for happiness and for money was that everybody have sex with each other. Like, how does that even make sense? I don't know. Yeah. We were, we're never allowed even to put too much thought into it. Right. There was no such thing as critical thinking back then, but I think I remember it being like having to do with that whole, like the old wine and the new wine theory, you know, belief system that they had, which is basically you can't put new wine into old bottles. Right. Right. Because the bottle will shatter. Right. Right. That was the belief. And so I think that the whole free for all with sex was part of that quote unquote new wine that by having a lot of free sex and wife swapping and all that kind of stuff that was showing that you were like that you were a a new bottle. Remember that was a way that like we would want to be told, okay, you're a new bottle or don't be an old bottle, which basically meant you were yielding or not yielding. Yeah, exactly. Which which is, do you know actually if that word we've been talking lately about uh, in some of our Facebook groups Mm -hmm. about words and what they meant? Cause I know yield is it's reference to traffic i don't generally yeah i don't know if that that whole thing yielding is a christian thing i think it's a christian thing yeah because i i'm pretty sure i've seen like pastors or whatever talking about being a yielded vessel or being yielded to god's will yielding to this and that yeah yeah and so that was the whole thing is like how yielded you were Exactly. And, and that's where I think the sex came in, wh- where it was like, well, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you having sex? Because that would show you're yielded. Also, because I think to a lot of people, that's their most private thing is their sexual parts. And that's right. like the last thing that you want to give up. Other people yeah. will be like, I'll give you my time. I'll give you my money. I'll give you this and I'll give you that. But you're not having my body. So... I, wasn't that also, that's basically what you're saying. Like you're being yielded and. Yeah, you're letting, giving up everything. Letting, yeah, exactly. Giving up everything. The thing that I will 100% take from that growing up that way and from being raised that way is that I 100% do believe that sexuality is a very natural thing, a very normal thing, and that there should be no shame related with it. I know that there's some people that like believe that it is something that should be hidden. And then there's other parents I hear about, even in this, these days, they'll just like nudity is a normal thing in their house. Like they'll yeah. walk around n- naked mm-hmm. and, and the kids don't think too much of it. Right. They're, yeah, this is your natural state. <laughs> yeah. They're a lot more, they're a lot more open with that in Europe yes. than compared to the States. And I, Oh that's, yes. That's probably has to do with the fact that, the United States was founded by Puritans. I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bought a gym membership in Germany because I was okay. there for six months and that was shortly after I'd had a baby and I was really into getting my body back into shape. And so I was working out every week and they had a sauna, hot tub, steam nice. room area behind the store. So I'm all like, oh, what's in there? Oh, that's the sauna steam room. Okay, cool. Great. So I put on my bathing suit, opened the door. Everybody was naked. Men, my women, jaw, all together? Everybody, all together. Yeah, okay. <laughs> my jaw just dropped and I closed the door. That was it. That was enough for one day. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't prepared for that at all. And it really just shocked the crap out of me. It was probably triggering too. Well, yeah, that too. Exactly. Because I was not expecting it at all. There's a guy had a towel, but the towel slung over his shoulder and he's just walking back, (laughs) just swinging in the wind. I don't know if it was the next day or a couple of days later, I mustered up the courage. I don't know, but I was like, okay, really (laughs) want to go in the sauna. Try again. I'm just going to walk straight into the sauna and lay down and close my eyes and just get up and walk out. So I opened the door shock for a minute everybody stared at me because i have a bathing suit on (laughs) every single person in there looked at me like what is your problem i walked to the sauna there's like five or six naked men and women in there and i take off my towel have a bathing suit on they all look at me just staring don't say anything they just stare 
I just lay down and fucking close my eyes and just zone out. So I get up and walk out. So a few days later, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get stared at more if I have a bathing suit on. So I might as well just take the bathing suit off. Yeah. Still had my towel around me. Still got stared at. Walked in, <laughs> laid down, you know, kind of just covered up myself a little bit. Still, everybody's staring at me because they're all just sitting spread eagle. No shame at all. Even billboards in Europe have boobs on them. And after 10 p.m., they play soft porn on television. Nice. In Poland, yeah, that was, <laughs> you're just sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden 10 o'clock rolls around and click, click soft porn, click soft porn, click soft porn, click soft porn. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's so normalized there that right, nobody exactly. thinks any differently of it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so interesting, the differences in culture. Yeah. Statistically, they have less sexual crime over there. Statistically. Yeah. yeah so, which is really funny because there are people here in the States that still are like banging the drum of like porn it warps the mind. And that's what causes people to think this way or that way. But it's actually, it's actually the wrapping it all up in shame is what's, what's the problem. I'm not going to speak to the porn industry. That's like a whole other thing. And obviously that is, there's horrible trafficking that goes on in the porn industry. I'm not saying it's good or anything. I'm just saying that they're beating the wrong drum <laughs> as far as like how it's going to affect like sexual crime. I, I believe I, from the numbers and just from meeting other and being in Europe, it's just not as uptight about it. Not at all. It's all different attitude and approach and all of that. Mm -hmm. It's just a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. So, I, so yeah, for me, that the way that I do believe that sex and sexuality and all of that is a natural thing. Sex for fun is a very normal thing, but that that's about the only thing that I would say that I would take that I agree with as far as the children of God's sexual practices. Right. That's the only thing that I do agree with. I've Everything struggled. else is a mess. <laughs> yeah. I've struggled so much at first when I left, it was hog wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's just threesomes, orgies, whatever swingers parties all over the place. I, I could never do it sober. I could never do it unless I was completely and totally obliterated. Yeah. I had to drink myself into a stupor and then I'd want to do it when I'm drunk. I'm down when I'm sober. I'm like, no, you're weird. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. Which... I, I don't know. I think it's just the you... natural response. For sure, for sure. There was that part of you that still, quote unquote, thought that that's what you were supposed to do. Exactly. And that's exactly. how you were supposed to be. That's, that's how you're supposed to conduct yourself. That's what, yeah. you know, is expected of me as a member of society, yeah. because that's how I yeah. have been basically yeah. raised and taught was, yeah. you're an object, you can be used for sex whenever the guys want to. And that's yeah, exactly. what you're supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. And I think that's what my experimenting was about too. Like just trying to figure that out, <laughs> like where the value rests on right. me. It's interesting though, because the years since that I've definitely, I think learned a lot more about my own value and my own worth than yeah. during that time of experimentation. But there was still a point to it to try and figure that out for us. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'm still though, after my whole mental psychotic break and all of that yeah. after the meth the meth makes you want to have sex that's hmm. part of the thing oh part yeah of the, part it, of the pull it just sends you into just these sex crazes i'm sure a lot of the people that rape women and stuff are high on meth because it gives you this just that's all you want to do is just have sex it's crazy mm -hmm. and that's why i can understand women that prostitute or sex slaves and all of that you just keep them pumped up on the meth and they're just going to want to do it it's yeah it just gives you this crazy insane desire to just want to have sex 
And after that, I was like, no, I don't, yeah. don't want to do that. Especially after I quit drinking, I still drink barely ever. I'm sure other people have those issues too. Yeah. It's like for- not wanting, just not wanting to have sex at all. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I can imagine with everything that you've been through, you're protecting your body. You're like, this is, I want to treasure this now. Now that I have control over this, I want to treasure. And I don't think it speaks to so much necessarily to whether or not you like sex or don't like sex. I think that's what gets people a little bit mixed up sometimes when you're trying to go down that road of getting healed of whatever it might be, sexual assault, sexual abuse, anything in that realm. It's not about do I like sex or do I not like sex? It's about your value and you protecting yourself. You felt protective of yourself. You felt like I want this. I want all of this to myself. It's it's like what you're saying. It's like the ultimate thing that you can give to somebody. And it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, not for some people, but for most people. When it comes to connecting with someone and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a very big gift, I should say, or, <laughs> or give not a gift, but like, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a big part of yourself to big, open up to yeah, someone. It is. A, and it is once you open that, it, that's like you said about the suicide thing. Once you open that door, it's always kind of an option. It's always there. It's one of those things. Yeah. Like I used to have a shirt that said, it only seems kinky the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly actually true. (laughs) Right? After that, you're either like, okay, that was fine. We're going to do it again. Or you're like, "Mm, not for me. But after that, it's not normalized, but it does become an option. It's something that's in your arsenal, so to speak. Right. Yeah. In most cases, sex with someone, regardless of how natural, how, how open and how frequently you do it, it does put you in a place of vulnerability. Yeah. There's not very many type of scenarios that it doesn't make you vulnerable in. When you're going through your healing and you're going through areas that you're trying to recover from and you're figuring out your value, figuring out your worth Making yourself vulnerable in one of the most intimate ways, I can see that as being something that you want to protect. Yeah. We were not allowed to have any type of homosexual leanings, right? Right. Uh, Women could have sex with women if they were doing it for the man in front of the man or whatever. And definitely no relationships were allowed. So you didn't even have a way to explore your sexuality at all. No. So I think even that was some of what I know for sure I was going through when I got out is okay. Who I, who am I actually even attracted to? Right. Yeah. <laughs> the vulnerability of that. Cause you have to figure out it, who you're attracted to and what you're attracted to. And that those two things are big steps that usually come earlier on in life. Right. For us. <laughs> yeah. So obviously like I can fully understand why it's a very natural reaction to say, you know what, I'm just going to put a kibosh on this. Let's just put that away for right now because I don't want to have to deal with it. It's not my time to deal with it because it's such a personal thing too. Like you said, it's such a personal thing that deciding when to explore it, that is 100% like should be a time that you're ready to explore it. You're ready to figure it out. Because yeah, if you go barreling into something without really knowing what you want or who you are that you're going to make some messes like I did for sure. <laughs> it's an interesting thing. Uh-huh. But I yeah. but I I am I'm definitely going to forever be a champion for the empowerment side of your sexuality. If you don't want to have sex ever, don't feel like there's something wrong with you. You don't right. have to have a sex drive. That's not requirement for being a human. Right. <laughs> it's not at all a requirement for being a human. And if you want to be like a crazed sexual person, if you can afford to live like that, go for it. Whatever empowers you, as long as you are the one holding the joystick, <laughs> uh-huh. as long as you're the one 
that is controlling your decisions and that you're really doing it because you want to and not because you're supposed to or because someone has convinced you or because you don't value your own desires enough, then that's not really empowerment, obviously. I'm not preaching one way or another as far as, oh, you, there's something wrong with you if you don't like sex. And I don't think there's something wrong with you if you do like sex. You just got to be ready to heal f- from it. You're ready to explore it when you go down there. That's the only thing I would say. Also, for some, yeah. it becomes an addiction, too. Yep. Right. Can definitely and- be addicted to sex. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that when you orgasm, you release oxytocin and other endorphins. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's kind of like giving yourself an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people use it as a piece of their happiness mechanism. Yeah, for sure. I don't know at what point it's unhealthy. I mean, <laughs> I think once it, it, it becomes a priority in the way that you're hurting yourself, you're hurting your relationships, you're spending right. money that you shouldn't spend. I think that falls into that same place of some of those other addictions. It's just, you can't really necessarily, depending on how wild you're getting, but you can't really kill yourself with sex. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> like you can Unless with drugs the, or alcohol. Unless you're doing the autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> that's, there you go. That's, that's true. That's true. Knowing when that has become an addiction has to do more with like how it's affecting other areas of your life. I don't think I've ever spoken to someone that I know who's been addicted to sex. Like I've never had that conversation with someone been like, oh yeah, I was addicted to sex and this is what happened. And this is what it looked like for me. I don't think I've ever spoken to someone about in that sense. No, I haven't either because usually either A, they're still addicted or B, (laughs) they won't acknowledge that they're addicted. Right. I think it was early on when he first came here to the States when different celebrities were getting caught cheating and stuff like that. There was a few people using that saying that they were Addicted to sex. Addicted to sex. But that's, I've never spoken to anybody about it. So I don't know what the criteria of that would be. Maybe we should try and find a sex addict for our podcast. (laughs) Anybody out there want (laughs) to come on here and embarrass yourself (laughs) and share your lessons with us? (laughs) Your lessons. Oh my God. Oh, I learned to masturbate twice a week, not every day. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I saw this on TikTok the other day. I was laughing so hard. It was said somebody was reading or quoting some study that like for every orgasm, you increase your your life expectancy by a certain percentage. And the guy right after was like, in that case, I'm immortal. (laughs) Ah, That's funny. I also heard, though, that I'm, I'm quite sure about this, too. It but boosts your immune system. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are starting to find that. And that's uh, why some people never get sick. You're <laughs> 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 like, yes, I have a very good immune system. I keep it up to date every day. <laughs> That could be like a question when you're da- on a date with somebody. So how often do you get sick? <laughs> you're right. They're, they're not going to follow. They're going to be like, never. And they're going to be like, sweet. Like, okay. <laughs> Good match. <laughs> <laughs> we have our subtle ways of finding out. Yeah, that's fucking funny, man. <laughs> Such a normal question. It was <laughs> such a different reason for asking (laughs) so how's your health (laughs) did you like not thinking uh, there's an underlying reason (laughs) speaking of that did you do a lot of dating when i left yeah because was online dating a thing at that point it was starting to be i did date i went out with one person that I met online. I don't remember how or where, but it was some sort of dating profile thing. Okay. He was like an army guy and I didn't know who I was. Yes. Just like, okay, whatever. And That's- I dated another person that 
I met through a mutual friend. Yeah, I went out with a couple other people. Not too much, though. And then I was like, okay, I'm I'm not going to date anybody. I'm just going to take care of my daughter and live my yeah. life. And then that's when I met Tim. <laughs> <laughs> they say that's how it happens. Yeah. I think I was dating more recently than you. Yeah. Because I remember dating a lot through the online profiles. It was a big thing. Okay, Cupid. Right. It was before it got sold to match and went the way of terribleness. But it used to be like a very inclusive. I mean, it, they still technically say they are, but it was just it was easier to navigate around finding the people that you wanted to find. I actually met a lot of, of burners that way, what they call burners here in this, which is uh, people that go to Burning Man. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. And they're they I figured out they were definitely some of my people <laughs> because a lot of their thing is art. It's like art and freedom. That's kind of like their thing. And I was like, those are the two things I love. Perfect. <laughs> we're, we're good. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, I was dating around at that time when OkCupid okay, kind of had hit its peak before it got sold. And I think that was some way, actually, that I started figuring out some things about what I liked or what I didn't like. Not necessarily having to do with sex, but just even just life. Because you would go in there and you, they'd ask you like a million questions. Things right. that I'd never even thought about before. <laughs> And then realizing, okay, there are some things that are really big, like a value thing to me. Okay, if someone has this issue, there's no way that we're going to ever be a match. Like now I know. And it tells you a little bit about yourself too. Yeah. But yeah, Yeah. it was was weird sometimes. And then the other thing that was really weird about it for me is trying to figure out at what point do you tell someone about your past? (laughs) <laughs> do you say hello hi my name is whisper and i was raised in this ridiculous horrible cult and i just started living life on the outside about 10 years ago like how do you say that to somebody when do you tell them does it get to a point where you're so far involved that it's now you tell them they're going to feel duped or do you tell them right away and then risk that they don't want to have anything to do with you like it's it, had those same issues when I was dating about like how do you tell someone like yes I was raised in this ridiculous horrible cult and I don't know I just started living life on the outside about 10 years ago like how do you say that to somebody I was one of those like I just told everybody straight up yeah because I felt like there had to be some excuse for me (laughs) yeah that's what I was thinking too and so I tried different approaches yeah there was pros and cons for each type but I think now today I would say I'm up front because I'm much more comfortable with who I am. Right. And like, yeah, if you don't like who I am, you can get the heck out of here. And if what happened to me in my past affects your perception of who I am today, then there's something wrong with you. Right. <laughs> like you obviously have not grown past a certain point in your evolution, right. <laughs> in your spiritual evolution that, you know, that you can't see people for who they are in the now. But at yeah. the time, I do, I do remember that being a big issue yeah I, I had one person say to me and this is just say probably the worst thing that someone has ever said to me they asked me like what kind of things i was into sexually and they said i imagine being raised the way you did that you're in that you're used to a lot of abuse and i was like jesus christ dude that was really so there are some of those realities obviously when you have a background like us but now that I'm now that I'm older, who I have around me in my life is so much more important than the number of people I have around me in my life. Yeah. The, especially like everything that I've been through, like you and I know, the people that are still with us here today still are you know, that we consider close friends that have been through, watched us go through hell and come back. Those are the people that you stick with, you know? Yeah, for sure you're lucky that you got to marry one of them too (laughs) (laughs) but you guys definitely had some ups and downs that i would say come directly from being raised the way that we were oh yeah absolutely yes for sure and also from his trauma too there's a lot of there's a lot of people that's one of the points of this podcast right making it more open to talk about the fact that there's a lot of people out there that have had trauma that didn't have to grow up in a sex cult (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. to have that drama like they just exactly like, 
they could have been in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood and still had bad things happen to them. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's like my biggest point that I feel that people need to take away from all of our podcasts is that this shit still goes on. This shit is going on today. It could be right next to you. Yeah. If you see something, do something. Yeah. Don't just watch somebody beat their kids and let them do it. You know, yeah. if what you see is disturbing you, what's going on behind closed doors is far worse. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there was so much like turning a blind eye in the seventies to abuse yeah. and obviously before yeah. that too. But I think in the seventies, it really started to come out a little more in public because yeah. people stopped being so private. Yeah. It started coming out a little more with the hippie era started telling things that were going on behind closed doors. There's still people oh my gosh, yes. that are abusing yep. their children. Like right yep. now there's yep. kids that are being abused and yep. people can stop it. If they just say yep. something, have somebody go check on them, call CPS. Don't be like, Oh, I don't want to be the narc. I don't <laughs> want to be the person that's telling on them. Dude, those kids don't, don't deserve to be treated like that. You don't that's say but who will. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that I've learned a lot more since working with, as I mentioned earlier, I-5 Freedom Network. And because their organization started for hotels, because that's actually where a lot of trafficking happens. Because a lot of us, the general public, and I say us, I, a lot of us think that trafficking, human trafficking is like what we see in the movies. The van drives up, opens the door, snatches the kid and drives off or bringing people in from overseas, crossing the borders, that the percentage of human trafficking that way is slim compared to human trafficking that's going on, like you said, your next door neighbor, or like you're in a hotel and there's three girls coming in and out of a hotel room and w with one older guy, and you're like, yeah, something there's not right. Maybe it's even more important for people to get educated now as to what to look for what are the signs like go right. go to some of these organizations like the u.s government has some really good sites on this but go and learn what are the signs because there's this element of you don't want to be a quote-unquote karen right there's this element of fear of people like you said i don't want to be the narc i don't want to have somebody videotaping me and putting me on social media and i come out as this terrible person because i'm saying something that isn't my business but when it comes to something like that, if you educate yourself more on what the signs are, then you're going to be able to know what is your business and just trust your, your instinct. Exactly. Yeah. If it's making you uncomfortable, there's probably something wrong. It is your business. That's all of our business. Yeah. I do really like the fact that we're starting to have more conversations about having the histories that we have and people speaking up about the way that they were raised or the way that they grew up or the abuse that they went through, because there's a lot of people we're just trying to figure out how do you move forward from this? Like, how do you heal? How do you know what areas of my life are still triggering me? Because a trigger is basically a place in your life that needs healing. Otherwise you wouldn't be triggered. So like the more people start the, the more conversations we have around that, the better we're going to be creating a world that's just so much better for our kids to grow up in and navigate through. I know my kids, the things that they know, obviously we were in the LGBTQ family as well, but the things that my kids know about mental health and gender identity and sexual identity and right and wrong and discipline like what what type of discipline you can at, talk to my 20 year old and she will tell you like the studies th about why spanking is so bad for kids and that's hopeful for me that like i see my kids and my kids generation having these conversations i'm hopeful for that reason and i think that those of us in my generation what are we the generation x <laughs> I think so. like yeah we were taught 
to hide, to push down, to ignore. And now we're hitting in our 40s and going into our 50s going, what the fuck happened to me? So it's never too late, I don't think, to start having those conversations. So I am glad that we are having them more and more. Yeah, yeah. And people are asking the questions. So that's super important. Exactly. I saw some of the interview that Christina did with, is that a podcast or a, on YouTube? Yeah. 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 I, saw, I saw some of that. And I know there's another documentary <laughs> that's coming out on the 21st yeah. about the children of God. So there's more and more people that are starting to f- feel ready to start talking about it and opening up and telling your story. And that's really is such a, an incredible place of healing. It's so incredible to take that step, to take that step for yourself and realize just how freeing it is and erasing the stigma. Yeah. I see it everywhere, working with the human trafficking organizations that I do. And obviously in our own small community, I just see the stigma of, oh, if they are a survivor, if they have had trauma, that means that something's wrong with them, something's broken, blah, blah, blah. No some of the strongest people you'll ever meet because they've had to face their demons yep. and they're working on their healing as we speak. Like this is the road that they're navigating through and they're going to be so much more self-aware and so much more understanding and so much more compassionate. They are. And have that strength and that determination because anyone that's still here after trauma, after severe trauma, that's their resilience. That's their strength. That's their determination. So anyone who has the strength and the determination to still be here and still fighting for this life after what they've been through, that's a good person to know. And that's a good person to have on your team. And that's a good person to hire. And that's a good person to marry. Like, I mean, they are some of the best people out there because they have gone down this road. They've taken this journey. And so that's exactly like you said being able to have these conversations, I think, is, is going to really help more people understand that and know that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So before we close in uh, speaking about human trafficking, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, there is a national human trafficking hotline where you can reach out to get help. If you or someone you know, you know may be in trouble, the number is toll-free. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can call and speak to an advocate. Uh, The number for that is 888-373-7888. If you visit their website, which is humantraffickinghotline.org, they also have other options for reaching out for help or reporting a concern, such as an online chat, an anonymous reporting form and a number for texting even. So definitely reach out. If you or anyone, you know, may be in trouble, there's help out there until next time. uh, Stay brave. And always remember that every butterfly was once a caterpillar.